0: Okay, so we're starting this six-week series on relationships and uh, relatives. Uh, Taking a break from our study of the book of Colossians for a little bit here to look at this topic. It's one that is relevant to all of us uh, because we've all got relatives. Amen. And we have all have relationships. And we all struggle to some degree in different ways with our relatives and with relationships. It's going to be a series that uh, is relevant to everybody. Uh, For some, it might be something like... uh, the fact that every time you come home, and the first thing that mom does is ask you, do you have a boyfriend or do you have a girlfriend? What's wrong with you? How come you don't have a boyfriend? You're 30 years old. What? You don't have a girlfriend. Or maybe that uh, you have a parent who you're supposed to honor because the Bible says honor your mother and father, but what if there's nothing honorable about them? Uh, issues like that. Maybe that uh, the guy you're dating is. Uh, it says he's a Christian and a follower of Jesus, but on every date he tries to push it too far. It may be that uh, the spouse that you can no longer trust uh, or, or the spouse that you're having trouble just not despising. Uh, it may be the child that is driving you absolutely crazy, or maybe the in-laws that think that uh, it's their job to tell you how to raise that child that's driving you crazy, or the parent that's sticking their nose in where it doesn't belong, or the parent who won't acknowledge that you're no longer 13. I mean, there's, there's all these kind of relationship relative kind of questions, and that's what we're going to be dealing with in this series. It's going to be, I think, one of the most practical series we've ever done. But we're not just going to look at uh, how to do things, how to uh, resolve marriage problems and things like that. We will address those. But see, this is what we do too often. The church does this, where it sort of accepts the common sense, natural way of looking at a problem, whether it's marriage or or in-laws or whatever. And then we say, how does Jesus fit into the problem? But a better, a more faithful kingdom way of, of coming at these issues is to say, is there a distinct kingdom way of even defining the problem? Because how you frame an issue completely determines the kind of questions you ask, the kind of answers you get. And so rather than tagging Jesus in on what's already there, we want to we ask more fundamentally, is there a kingdom perspective on what is there? And that's what we're going to be doing in this message. Uh, this series will be very, very practical, but this message today is going to be pretty intensely theological and and uh, it's going to require uh, some of your cerebrum uh, matter working overtime, so pay attention. I'm going to deluge you with scripture. I think I'm going to set a record here for the amount of scripture I pack into a 35-minute sermon. Uh, so if you're taking notes, prepare to write fast. Maybe you want to download this message and, and get the scriptures that I'm going be, gonna to be giving um, uh, and go over it a second time. But I'm entitling this message, It's uh, a Family Affair. And if, you're, if you understand what that refers to, what that references to, then you're over 50. You know what it refers to? It's a family affair. It's a family affair. Sly and the Family Stone. Sly, by the way, I just read this week is um, uh, like out on the streets. He's homeless. He used to be a millionaire and famous. Now he's just a uh, drug addicted guy living out of his van. Very very sad. Stay away from drugs. It's not good. But that's my message. I'm just saying it's, it's a bad thing. So it's a family affair. We're going to be looking at uh, what it looks like to be in the kingdom and be part of this family. Uh, Pray with me here for a moment. As we ask God's anointing on this message, Father, I just thank you for every person in this auditorium, listening through podcasts. Bless our pod listeners. Bless those who are watching through television. And God, I just pray, we just pray that you'd make this a kingdom moment. Infuse this message with your spirit, with your authority. And God, help us to fundamentally... See the world through the lens of the kingdom, and not just have you as a footnote to what's already there. But God it fundamentally changed the way we think about things, and changed our hearts and changed our minds. Uh, Holy Spirit, only you can do that. So we surrender this word over to you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, "Amen, amen." amen. <laughs> all right. So to have a kingdom perspective on our relationship and relative issues—that's what we're talking about here today. To have a kingdom perspective on this. We need to first understand something about the nature of the family in the first century, uh, really in the ancient world in general. And uh, traditional cultures, up to the pre- modern times, pre-modern cultures generally speaking this is certainly true of first century Judaism uh, they had what we would call a patriarchal structure to the family, patriarchal structure, because it was all, it was all centered on the patriarch, the father. And this, by the way, isn't, isn't, I'm not saying this is the way it's supposed to be at all, but I'm just describing the way it was, because this is what is presupposed when the Bible uses family language. So we need to understand this. It was all defined by the father. The, the a family was the bloodline of the father. And, uh, you were first and foremost, a child of your father. That was what, that was the thing that defined you most. You were a child of your father before you were the wife of somebody or the husband of somebody or the parent of somebody. You were a child of your father. And that father had complete authority over the family line. Generally speaking, as long as the father was alive, he was the boss. And even when sons would form their own families, they were still under the authority of the eldest father. Uh, the best way, the easiest way to think about this is sort of like the godfather. If you've ever seen the godfather, uh, you know, it, it's, it, the father, he's the eldest guy, he's the boss. And... Uh, He is the one who then is always brought in when there's major decisions to be made. You don't get married without the approval of the eldest father. You don't enter into business transactions without the approval of the eldest father. Uh, Conflicts are resolved by bringing them, if need be, up to the father. He's he's the authority over all this. In fact, in in the ancient world, the father was the authority even on religious matters. You didn't get to choose what you believed. You believed whatever the father told you to believe. He, 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 his faith was the faith of the whole family. And if he changed religions, everybody changed the religion. This is how it worked. That's why, for example, uh, in, in Acts 16, uh, you have Paul uh, preaching to this Philippian jailer. And he says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And the household would include his wife, his kids, if there's any servants around them as well. And we would, in our individualistic perspective, ask the question, well, how does Paul know that the wife will choose to believe or that the kids are going to choose to believe? And the answer is that he would know that because that's the way it worked back then. If this guy's the head of a household, then when he changes, everybody changes. That's how it worked. So the father, the family is defined by the father and the father has complete authority over the family descendants, the lineage. It was also understood that uh, all of the members of this family have, have a responsibility. Actually, three of them. First, the responsibility is to bring honor to the father, uh, to live and conduct themselves in a way that his reputation is, is, is uh, uh, held in, uh, in high esteem, and to honor the family, because the family was seen as being an extension of the father. So they have to honor the father. They, they understood, second, that they were supposed to carry out the will of the father. You can't just do your own thing and call your own shots. No, your job as a child of the father is to do the will of the father. And finally, they understood that it was their responsibility to propagate the family, to expand the family, to carry on the family name. And so when wives would, when women would marry into the family, there was tremendous pressure on them to bear the family name. And so this was the responsibility of all the family members in the ancient world. The final thing is this, that... It was understood in the ancient world that your ultimate allegiance is to your father and therefore to the family. Your ultimate allegiance. Uh, This was, in fact, seen as being the the, the most foundational uh, piece of ancient society. This is what held it all together. The the strongest bond that holds society together in the ancient world was, was believed to be the family. Allegiance to the father. And if there's any conflict of interest, you always side with the father and the family. You side with the father and the family before you side with your, your, your spouse. You side with the father and the family before you side with, your own, with, with uh, siblings of whatever family you married into. The ultimate, allegiance, the ultimate allegiance is to the father and to his family. Now, when we read the Bible, we've got to keep that in mind. And when we read the Bible through the lens of the traditional patriarchal family, we'll see here that it really adds significance and meaning uh, to what we read. Uh, in the Bible we find in the New Testament that God is our Father and we are His children. We need to understand it within this framework. God is our Father and we are His children. That's not just metaphors or poetry that God is like a Father to us and we are like His children. In a real sense, not a biological sense, of course, but in a real sense, we are children of our Father. And so it says in John, for example, he says that uh, to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. These are children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. When we trust, when we put our trust in God, believe in his name, believe in his character, and surrender our life to him, uh, we, we, we are born of him. If something really happens. This is not metaphor portrait. We're, we're born of him. He becomes, in a unique way, our Father, and we become, in a unique way, His children. Metaphysically, ontologically, in reality, there's a change that happens. God is, in a general sense, the Father of all, because He's the Creator of all. And all human beings are, in a general sense, His children, because He created them. But when we trust in Jesus Christ and submit to the Father's will, something changes. He's now Father in in a unique way, and we're children in a unique way. Paul, I think, captures a little bit of what this change is like when he tells us that when we believe, we receive the spirit. And the spirit we receive does not make us slaves so that you fear. No, see, The spirit that is within us when we submit to him, uh, it doesn't make us slaves. So like we're living in this you know, idea that, he, he, that we just have to live in fear of him. There's no place for fear in the kingdom of God. Reverence, yes, but no place for fear. Spirit, Spirit does not make us slaves so that we live in fear, but instead, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonships. We're, we're brought into the family of God. We're adopted. That's why we have the right to be called the children of God. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, this, this, uh, the word Abba is an Aramaic word, and it, it, it's a term of endearment. Uh, it, it, it can be translated dad or daddy. And so when we submit to God, and the Spirit of God is within us, the, the 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 impulse in us through the Spirit is now to cry out to God, not as a the, the Creator, the Judge, who's gonna that we live in fear that we might be damned, but rather to say, Dad, we're now His children in this dear sense, and He's our Father in the dear sense. There's this Abba, Dad kind of relationship that we have with Him. That that changed. That something changed when we submitted to our Father. There's a new relationship, a new reality of that that is there. Jesus gets at this when He's talking to Nicodemus. In John chapter 3 and Jesus says truly I tell you no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of spirit the flesh gives birth to flesh but the spirit gives birth to spirit so you shouldn't be surprised that I say you must be born again now this phrase born again that we've often used uh, born-again Christians that kind of concept it literally has the connotation in the Greek anothen it has the connotation of being born from above it also means born again, but I think the emphasis is on being born from above. And so what Jesus is saying here is that uh, to enter into the kingdom of God, the reign of God, that's what the kingdom of God is. Wherever he's ruling, that's his kingdom, the dome over which he's king. And to come into that means you've got to be born from above. There's a birth that happens here. And as we're born from above, uh, we take on the characteristics of the father, the one that we're born from. It's like this. Uh, we're born of flesh. And when we're born of flesh, we inherit our identity and our basic makeup from our parents, right? They pass on their DNA to us. They pass on their likeness to us. Um, and so the basic way, that, uh, the basic shape of our bodies and, and, and our, our basic personalities, they're all part of the genes we inherit from our parents. We inherit a likeness from them. That's being born of flesh. So also when we're born of spirit, uh, God, as it were, passes on his DNA to us. We're birthed by him. And so we, be, we, we, we inherit uh, his DNA. We inherit his likeness. To be born from above means, means the character of God now is birthed inside of us, is birthed in our spirit. The, the, the spirit is our innermost, the innermost part of us. It's our core identity. It's our core nature. And so what Jesus is saying here is that y- y- you're born of flesh, you inherit a DNA from your parents, but you're also born of a spirit, you're born from above. And now we inherit the likeness of, of Our father we have within us at the core of our being at the core of our being We have an impulse now to cry out daddy and we have an impulse to live like God to manifest his DNA You we have within us. This is who we are. This is our core identity when we're born from above we have within us uh the, the, the impulse and the power to live Holy like God and to love like God and to forgive like God and and to have a peace like God a peace that passes all understanding you have within you the Spirit of God, this, this river of living water. You have within you uh, the Spirit of the King Himself. That's who we are. That's our core identity. We're born of the Spirit. Now, maybe you're sitting here listening to me, or maybe, Padre or you're out there jogging, listening to me, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I, don't, I, I, I submit to God and, and I, I believe in Jesus, but I don't feel like I look like God. I don't feel like I act like God. I don't love like God. I don't forgive like God. In fact, uh, I'm pretty grouchy sometimes. Uh, I wake up in the morning and I'm just a bear and sometimes I'm I'm judgmental and sometimes I just fall into temptation. Sometimes blah, 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 blah. I got you. So you're wondering, how can I be a child of God? How can this be true about me? I'm born of God, but I still look and feel pretty much like a sinner. See, here's the thing. The Spirit gives birth to Spirit and the Spirit's the innermost part of us. But we're not just Spirit. We're Spirit, soul, and body. And while the spirit now is infused with the character of God, a new identity, a new reality, right? While that is who we truly are, our, 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 our brains, our, our suke in Greek, our soul, and our bodies are still patterned after the flesh. And so we've got a new identity that is here, this is who we really are, but our flesh thinking and our flesh bodies still go on as they were before. And, and so there's a conflict in us. You know, here God says, you're my child, you're holy, you're righteous, you're blameless. Uh, you love like me and you forgive like me and you have a peace like me. But, but, but the, the identity that we have inherited from the pattern of this world, the identity that, that we live in and experience is maybe one that we got from our parents or, or the media and it tells us that we don't have any worth. We don't have any worth unless we perform and accomplish and achieve things. Or our worth is found up on how we sexually gratify males. Or our worth is found in, 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 in how pretty we are, smart we are, whatever. But God is saying to us, No, who you really are is you have a worth that doesn't depend on what you accomplish, and you have a worth that doesn't depend on what men think about you, and you have a worth that doesn't depend on what your parents think about you. You have a worth because you're my child. You have a right to be called a child of God. You have a worth that's unsurpassable. You have an identity that's beautiful and righteous. If you look like me. You're in my likeness. And so there's this conflict here. And so the, the, the center of our discipleship, this is what we're called to do, is knowing who we truly are, we're to take every thought captive to Jesus Christ. Knowing who we truly are, we're to get our brains to line up with that truth. That's why Paul says, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world any longer. That pattern that you inherited from the flesh, that pattern of this fallen world, the pattern of the lies that are in your brain, the pollution that's there, the crap that is there. No, don't be conformed to that any longer. If you think that way, you're going to act that way. But no, you, you'd rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Know who you are. You're a child of God. He's your Abba Father. You're His precious child. You've inherited from Him His likeness. Know that. Live that. Think that. Breathe that. And as we do, we put on more and more display the DNA of our Father in Heaven. But know this. Know this. We're not to be transformed and, and become holy and look more like God so that we'll be a child of God. You don't grow into being a child of God. Rather, you're a child of God, and that's why you can start to be transformed into his likeness. My kids, you know, it's not the case that they have to act a certain way before they're my kids. No, they're my kids, and that's why I really hope they act a certain way. It's like, you know, you're a boy. You don't do this. You're a boy. Come on, what's wrong with you? You inherited a boy gene. And this is what boy genes do. But see, you're my kid, and that's why you, it's not in your nature to act that way. So quit acting against your nature. But it's not the case that i say, hey, listen, if you look a certain way and act a certain way, then you'd be my child. No, 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 no. So also, God gives us the new birth up front. Praise God. We don't transform our way into the kingdom. No, we transform because we're in the kingdom. And so you're a child of God first. You may not look like it, think like it all the time. You may not feel like it all the time. But, but you've got to know that you have that. If you've submitted your life to Christ genuinely and believe and trust in him genuinely, then you're a child of God born from on high and the spirit of God is, is within you. I love the way John gets at the same point when he says, he says, we are the children of God. God calls us his children. See what great love the father's lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Why? Because that is what we are. God, I'm thinking, usually gets things right. Would you agree with me on that? <laughs> He's not wrong very often. He's never wrong. So if he calls us children of God, that's because we are, in fact, children of God so, dear friends, now we are children of God. He's emphasizing, now we are, already we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. Uh, or it could be, uh, uh, has a sense of how we will appear, we, we don't yet know. But we do know this, that when Christ appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We will see him like, his, what, what he's getting As is this. You are a child of God. You've been born from on high, born from above. You've inherited the Father's DNA. And that's why God calls you that, because you are that. Now, it doesn't look like that right now, all, all the time. In fact, we can't even begin to imagine what we're going to look like when, when God wraps up this show. But when Christ, we do know this, that we're going to look like him. Uh, we've got the same DNA that he has. And, and so when he appears, we're going to see him as he is. Even Right now, we see through a glass darkly. We don't get it all. We're still wrestling with the flesh. But, but in the end, we're going to see him as he is because we shall be like him. We're, when we get all the mud, we're in the image of God and we're children of God, but it's all covered up with the mud and slime and sin and wounds and pain and scars and calluses. Covering it all up. But man, someday those things are going to be melted away by the love of God. Someday the wounds are going to be healed. Someday the scars are going to be gone, praise God. And then we're going to see Him as He really is. And then we're going to be like Him. We're going to shine like the New Day Sun, the way Jesus was putting on display the glory of God on the Mount of Transfiguration. Someday we're going to shine like that, radiate the DNA of our Abba Father like that. We're going to need sunglasses just to look at one another. We're going to be so bright. It's going to be beautiful. But see, even now, we are already children of God, and our job is to be moving in that direction, moving in that direction, to, to be thinking in accordance with truth, to let the mud begin to fall off us, to begin to look like and live like and love like more and more the way our Father loves us, and putting on display His DNA. He is Father, and we are His children. And, and we need to understand that within the patriarchal framework of the first century. But now, if, he, if we have a common Abba Father... Talking to all who have submitted their lives to Christ. If we have a common Abba Father and we have a common DNA, what does that make us? Yeah, it makes us family, it makes us brothers and sisters. The family is defined by the bloodline of the Father. In this case, the family is defined by the spiritual line of the Father. And so we are family. And in fact, this is how the New Testament often talks about the church. And it's not speaking metaphorically, it's not like we're like a family. Oh, we're just like a family. No, we are a family. And so we, we read this in, in, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 2.11. Both the one who makes people holy, that's Christ, and those who are made uh, holy, that's us, are of the same family. We are family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Uh, I, I love this. He's not ashamed of us. Now, we don't look and act all the time like brothers and sisters of Jesus, but we are, because God calls us that, because we are that. We have his DNA, and he's our Abba Father. So Jesus isn't ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Uh, he's my brother, he's my sister. And no, we're brothers and sisters of Jesus. This is, this is, this is, so, this is so great. You know, he's fully God and fully human. As fully God, he's our Lord, right? He's our Lord. But as fully human, he's our brother. He's our brother. He's got he's got our DNA. He came into this world and accepted the this the DNA of humanity, and 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 now he, he and he puts on a perfect display of the DNA of the father. And so he is our brother. In fact, he's the the first one in this family who gets it right. He's the first one in this family that looks the way the family's supposed to look. Because he's the first one in the family that puts on display perfectly the DNA of the father. That's why John could say that 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 we'll see him as he is because we will be like him. Why? Because we're part of the same family. He's our brother. In fact, the Bible says he's the firstborn. He's the firstborn, because he's the first one to manifest perfectly what it looks like to be in the family of God. He is our brother, and he's the one who's making us holy, and, and he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. In fact, that's why in the New Testament, you may have noticed, that they always refer to each other as brothers and sisters. Brother, brother, this, sister, that. They use that. And that's not just a term of, of, of you know, kind of a cute way of referring to one another. That's because they understood that we are, in fact, brothers and sisters. Uh, the first church I came to Christ in, uh, they used to speak this way. Uh, and they always say, Brother Greg, uh, Brother Boyd, and, and, and Sister Shelley, and Brother Bob, and Sister Sue. And, and, and we always had that, that, that tag there. Even husbands and wives called each other brothers and sisters. Um, and that's how that, in fact, happens in the New Testament. Paul refers to husbands and wives as brothers and sisters. And now that seems kind of hokey and corny and... You know, almost a little cultish. But I think they were onto something. They were onto something. Because we are brothers and sisters. And maybe it's good for us to always remind ourselves of that fact. Brothers and whether you know the person or not, you're, you're brothers and sisters. And, and I, so I'm not going to come up with a rule about this, like we, we always got to call each other brother and sister. But why not? Would you agree with that, sister? Would you agree with that, brother? I mean, yeah, we're family, brothers and sisters. This is why the, 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 in the New Testament, Jesus is called, listen to this now, Jesus is called the second Adam, the new Adam, the second Adam, because he's the father of a new, a new family, new human race. See, the first Adam was to father the first human family. And uh, that family, as you know, the family of Adam, uh, got pretty screwed up. Uh, that, that, that family was, lived in rebellion came under a curse it, it came under the bondage of the devil that family, the Adam family the Adam, Adam's family <laughs> I just da, 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 da. Adam's family now there is a sermon title someone write that down and give it to me later on Adam's family, that's good that's going to be a book someday I can almost promise you that that's a revelation from God right here <laughs> Adam's family, Adam's family got screwed up. Adam's family came under a curse, came under bondage, came under the the affliction of the devil. The Adam's family got all corrupt. The DNA got corrupt to the point where we can't, Adam's family can't, on their own power, put on display the image of God. We've lost that capacity. We're just oppressed. So God's solution is to say, okay, it's a do over time. So Jesus comes into this world as a new Adam. We're going to start from scratch again. And and, and so Jesus comes into this world, takes on our humanity, and now he's going to birth a new family. This is the family of Christ. And God's goal is for the family of Christ to infiltrate the Adam's family and to make all part of the family of Christ. But there's this new family. It's got new DNA. It's born from above. See, the the seed of this new family comes from above. It's got the character of God and the spirit of God. It's it's, it's got uh, an incorruptible seed. Adam's seed got all screwed up. But this seed of the new family... It's got like built-in immunity to the devil. Praise God. That's why it says in 1 Peter that we've been born again, but this second birth seed is not with a perishable seed. That was that was Adam's family. But the Christ family has an imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. Imperishable. Everybody say imperishable. imperishable. See, the, the, the essence of what you have in your spirit, that seed, that reality in your spirit is imperishable. It's incorruptible. It's got immunity to the devil. A built-in way of, of fighting that off. It can't be corrupted by him. Now we also are in Adam's family, right? We also are inherit the flesh, and so we're vulnerable in a lot of other ways. But in the core of our identity, praise God, we've got something that lasts forever and ever and ever and ever, because it's birthed from God, who lasts forever and ever and ever and ever, and it goes on and on. The Christ family, there's a, a new family, a new race that's being born. This is so man. It, we so often think that, that Christianity is just sort of a nice little tidying up of what's already there, when in fact it's a complete subversion of what's already there to create a new thing. Paul gets at this new humanity in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, he, he says this, God's purpose. He's talking here, by the way, uh, of the division between Jews and Gentiles, which is sort of the paradigm of all divisions of Adam's family. Adam's family is all divided. All, Adam's family's got all this violence and, and, and divisions and Tower of Babel stuff. And, and the, the difference between the conflict between Jews and Gentiles was sort of the paradigm of all that. So Paul says this. God's purpose in Christ was to create in himself, look at this, one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. He's tearing down the walls, praise God. He's reversing Babel because he's creating a new humanity that's got the character of God on the inside. And the character of God doesn't get corrupted and doesn't get divided the way the, way the seed of Adam does. And then four verses later, he says, because of this, because of this new humanity, we're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, praise God, and also members of his household. Because we have inherited this birth from above and inherited the, the, the reign of God, inherited the character of God, we're now made compatible with citizens of the kingdom of God. We're, we, we, this is our true citizenship. This is our true home. But more than that. That's just belonging to a kingdom. More than that, he uses this, this, this intimate term. We're now part of God's own household. We are family. We are family in the house of God. Same Abba Father, same eternal Abba Father, same perfected elder brother, and now the same incorruptible seed, the incorruptible DNA that makes us family. Now let's take it a little deeper. Still thinking in terms of the paradigm of, of the patriarchal structure of the first century, the family structure of the first century. If we're all family, then that means, of course, that we've got certain responsibilities. All right? And so as children of Abba, as children of our dad, our first obligation is to honor our dad. And to bring honor to our dad and to bring honor to his family. To uphold a good reputation of dad and his family. That's our first obligation, honor our father. Secondly, we are, as, as children of Abba, we don't do our own thing, call our own shots. No, our job is to carry out the will of Abba, the will of our dad. And, and, and so to submit everything to our dad and, and to carry out his will. And then the third thing is to propagate the family. We're supposed to bear children and expand this family. And of course, that's not biological, it's spiritual. But, but it, it's still that obligation to grow the family. And this is, in fact, what we find throughout the New Testament. This sums up kind of what it is to be in the kingdom, the obligations of being in the kingdom. And so, for example, we see in, in the Lord's Prayer He says, when you pray, pray this way. And he's not saying we have to always use this exact prayer, though that's okay too. But he is saying pray with this theology, pray with this mindset. So we're to pray our Father in heaven, Dad, Abba, Uh, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Look at that. Hallowed be your name. That's simply saying, Dad, as your kids, we commit to keeping your honor, to keeping you holy. We commit to living in a way and conducting ourselves in a way that's going to bring honor to you and therefore honor to your Father and honor to all that you're about. So hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. It's simply saying, Dad, we commit as your kids to, uh, to carry out your will. Not to do our own thing, but to always be about your business and, and to make sure your will is being done. Because where your will is being done, then that's where you reign. So let your kingdom come, the reign of God come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We as your kids commit to doing that. It's the most fundamental job description. And then thirdly, we commit to being, this isn't the Lord's Prayer, but it's all over the place in the New Testament, we commit to being the means by which your family grows. Commit to bearing children. And so Jesus, for example, the last word he says before he ascends into heaven, he says, I want you guys to uh, go out into all the nations and, and make disciples. Note, he says make disciples, not make believers. Uh, Making someone a believer and stopping there doesn't do a whole lot. Uh, the kingdom is not about people who believe the right things. The kingdom is about people who have submitted. Because the reign of God is, is where he's king. If he's not king, well then that's not the kingdom. You come into the kingdom when you submit. not just when you believe certain things. You've got to believe certain things in order to submit. But the point is to become a disciple. One is being disciplined by. So make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, because baptism is the initiation ceremony of coming into uh, the the community. It's a, it's the the marriage ceremony by which you you're, you join the bride of Christ who is engaged to uh, the heavenly groom. And then he says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, because it's insofar as we carry out the Father's will and out of the Father that we are in fact in fact part of the family, <laughs> part of the family. And so, so the jo- our job as kingdom kids is to honor our Father, carry out His will, and have spiritual children, share Christ, live in a way that, that, is, an, that is inviting of people to come in and, and eventually have the Spirit of God being born in their, 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 their spirit, and they submit to God and carry out His will on earth as it is in heaven. So that's our responsibilities as kingdom kids. And then finally, and in some ways, maybe most importantly, and certainly most controversially, to belong to the family, remember, is, means that our ultimate allegiance is to Abba and his father. Uh, this was, in fact, one of the most scandalous aspects of Jesus' ministry. In the ancient world, the very foundation of society was understood to be this patriarchal family system. That's what held everything together. Your ultimate allegiance is to your father. Jesus comes along and he says, nope, nope. Your ultimate allegiance is not to your earthly father, but to your heavenly father. And your ultimate allegiance is not to your earthly family, but to your heavenly family. And that was controversial. He's going at the most the most foundational aspect of society. And he says, nope. It's one of the reasons why I got crucified. This was so radical. It was offensive back then, and it's going to be offensive today. So get ready to be offended, maybe. Listen to this. He, he comes all over the place in the Gospels. He says things like this. Uh, at one point he was uh, teaching his disciples and uh, uh, his, his, his mother and brothers came to get him because they thought he was crazy. It says that in the text. He, he's saying things like, no one knows God except for me and no one can go to God except through me and stuff that would get you crucified. And so his mother and brothers were concerned about this. So they come out, they think he's nuts. And, uh, and then someone comes, comes up to Jesus and says this, your mother and brothers, apparently his father had died at this point, but your mothers and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And Jesus replied to him, Who is my mother, and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He just seriously dissed his mother and brothers. And in the ancient world, I mean, today that would be seen as being pretty rude. In the ancient world, that was just... That, that was just so offensive. But you see, his first allegiance is to Abba Father and therefore to those who are about his business. The family that, that are of those who are born from the Father and who seek to do his will. So anyone who does the will of God, well, that's my, the, my brotherhood there. My, in, in, uh, your sisterhood here, that's stronger in the kingdom than it is biologically. He's putting the family of God over the biological family. He did this all, all the time and it was really controversial. In Luke chapter 12, he says this, now, there'll be five in a family and, and, and divided against one another. Three against two and two against three. And what he's saying there is this, that when this message gets a, gets a footing in someone's heart, it comes to a family. Two may agree and three don't. But the two that are part of the family of God, now their ultimate allegiance is no longer to their earthly father, which really puts them outside the family. That is... That's undermining, it's subversive of the core value of the ancient world. So he's really saying, when when people start aligning themselves with the kingdom, their allegiance to the father and to the father's family is such that it's going to blow apart some of the biological families. Uh, The the, the motif runs throughout the gospel. He says this in, in, in Matthew chapter 10. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to this earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, he doesn't mean a literal sword uh, because he was against all sword wielding. He he rebuked Peter for cutting off the guy's ear when that was the most justified act of self-defense there ever could be. So he was against violence, but he's using it here as a metaphor of division. And Jesus came to bring peace on earth. Mary says that in in her Magnificat, in her song in Luke chapter 2. He came to bring peace on earth eventually, but to get there. That piece is going to be predicated on everybody being, having their ultimate allegiance to Abba and his, his family. But to get there, there's going to be a whole lot of messy conflict along the way. Because you'll have co- a conflict of ultimate allegiances. And one of the core conflict of ultimate uh, allegiances will be between the biological family and the heavenly family. And then he says, here's what I mean with a sword bit. A man will be against his father, a daughter against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be the members of your own household. He's not saying he wants it this way. He's simply saying that this is how it's going to be. Because some are going to be giving their ultimate allegiance to their heavenly father. And those whose ultimate allegiance is to the earthly father are going to feel dissed. They're going to feel offended. They're going to be mad at you. In fact, they may begin to persecute you. In the, in the ancient world, in the early church, one of the main things that the church was known for was well, it was accused of. This is why they got crucified and, and set on fire sometimes. is because they were undermining family values. They didn't respect the family. Uh, How ironic. In in Luke 14, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, such a person cannot be my disciple. Strong words, those. Now, again, Jesus isn't speaking literally here. He's using a lot of hyperbole, which is... Real common in the ancient world, and especially in the Mediterranean culture, they used exaggeratory language to em- state a point emphatically. Uh, Jesus tells us to honor our parents. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, so we can't mean that we literally hate them, and we're supposed to love everybody, right? We're, we're forbidden. We, we're not allowed to hate anybody. Uh, we're, we're to even love those and bless those and pray for those who are persecuting us and who are life-threatening. So he doesn't mean literally, but he is saying this. The, our allegiance to Abba Father and to his family has got to be so much greater than our allegiance to anything else that, that it's, it's as though it's a difference between love and hate. You can't serve two masters. You can't have two ultimate allegiances. And so what he's saying here is that to align yourself with the kingdom, to, to make the father and his family an ultimate allegiance means that, that your ultimate allegiance can't be to your biological family. And uh, it may, so coming into the kingdom may cost you something. In fact, it may cost you everything. It may cost you your, your, your spouse. It may cost you your children. It may cost you your brothers and sisters. It may cost you your house and your reputation and your job and all that you have. It may cost you life itself. But that's what it means to have your ultimate allegiance to Abba and his family. And if you're not willing to do that, well, then, then that's fine. Then just go in the world and have your ultimate allegiances out there. But if you want to come into the kingdom of God, this is what you have to be willing to do. And throughout history, that sometimes has been required of people. And so, folks, this is what it means to frame everything in the kingdom. Uh, ultimate allegiance is to Abba and his family. As his kids, we commit to honoring the Father and to fulfilling his will and to furthering his, his mission, and it means that our ultimate allegiance is there. And we need to frame everything, all of our relative relationship stuff, frame it in that context. Now, I want to end with, with, by saying this. I know that there is a lot of questions you probably have, <laughs> Uh, and concerns maybe that some of you have. I got that. I I understand that. And we'll be answering some of those throughout this series. I'll just answer one or respond to one concern that's very legitimate. This teaching has been, at times, viciously abused. And maybe some of you have been victims of that abuse. Uh, This is true of all truth. All truth. Any truth can be misused. Any truth in fact, the more power a truth has to transform people to the, to, in a good way, well, in the, in the wrong hands, it can be used to harm people in, a, in an evil way. And so this teaching, precisely because it's so powerful, if, if we learn how to frame things in this framework, it changes everything. It's a game changer. And it confronts some of the core values of our society. In fact, it confronts some of the core values of, of American Christianity. Uh, but it's powerful. But for all this, just that reason, it can be viciously abused. It can be, it has been, for example, uh, misused by some who take this uh, true thing about the the need for our ultimate allegiance to be towards the father and his family. And they take that and they translate it and and manipulate people to think that that means that your ultimate allegiance has to be to me because I'm the preacher, right? Or your ultimate allegiance has to be to this church because we're the ones who get it right. Or your ultimate allegiance has to be to this system of doctrines or to this denomination. And, and, and you, so you got to put me before your family, and the church before your family, and, and this set of doctrines before your family. And I just want to tell you that this teaching does not mean that. This teaching is saying that our ultimate allegiance is to Abba and his family, seek first the kingdom of God. But don't, let, don't ever let anyone uh, uh, manipulate you into thinking that that can be translated to mean that your ultimate allegiance is to any person or any institution or any set of doctrines. Uh, at that point, I mean, that, that's, that's idolatry. It simply means this. If, if my passion, my central passion, is to honor the Father and to carry out His will and to further His, His, His family, then I will naturally align myself and, and, and develop relationships with others who have that passion. Because most people don't. And so I, I, I will naturally align myself with, with, with that. That will be my family. Uh, But that's not something that's imposed on me. That's something that naturally gravitates. I gravitate towards as this passion in me grows to seek first the kingdom of God. So don't let anyone manipulate you into into idolatrous commitments. Another way that it's sometimes abused, often abused, in fact, is, um, oh, you can spiritualize this to simply dump on your family. You got pastors sometimes who... In the name of seeking first the kingdom of God, they pour themselves into the church. They're workaholics, but they justify it by by appealing to this teaching. And they neglect their their wife and kids, and they're married to the church. Or it could could be any worker, anybody who is serious about God. You neglect your family because you want to seek first the kingdom of God. Or it sometimes is abused this way. I know a guy some years ago who who was one of the God chasers. There's a book that came out, The God Chasers, and he was one of them. And... uh, uh, I, you know, I didn't know God was running away, but I, apparently you have to. Just... Oh, God, wait for me. <laughs> Please, God, don't you walk so fast? Please, God, don't you walk so fast? Slow down, Dad. You're making me mad. I don't know where that came from. ADD moment. That was a little shot of Elvis Presley in there, I guess. So he's chasing after God, and what that meant for him is this. Wherever there's a revival, Toronto or or Pensacola or Brownsville, one of these revivals, he wanted to be there. Why? Because he wants God. He doesn't want this mediocre Christian stuff. That No, he wants the radical stuff where people's teeth turn to gold and angel dust falls down and pulpits split in two. That's what he's looking for. So he chases after that. Spends the family money on plane tickets going everywhere. Meanwhile, his wife and kid are back in the house being abandoned. She's about ready to divorce him. He, he spiritualizes that by saying, oh, she doesn't get it because she's just a mediocre Christian. I want to be a radical. And, I, and she called me and I got involved in this thing. And I'll tell you what I told him. And that is, knock it off. You're being an idiot. I said it in a little Christian language. but No, here's the thing. It's true. It is true. No denying that the gospel, that in the gospel, Abba Father and his family come first. Allegiance to God and his family trumps allegiance to biological family. That's true. You can't deny that. We just read it. On the other hand, what's also true is this Abba Father tells you, first responsibility, take care of your family. So the, our, our allegiance to the king includes the family, whether they're believers or not. That's our responsibility. In fact, Paul goes so far, I love this verse, and as I quote this verse to this guy, he goes so far as to say this, that whoever doesn't take care of their relatives and especially their own household uh, is, is denying the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You'd be better off being an unbeliever. Why? Because Abba's will is that we take responsibility for that which we've taken responsibility for, our household. Provide for your household. And the first century, he's speaking just to men, because men were the only ones who could get out there and do that, but now it applies to everybody. And to provide for isn't just financial, but to provide for means you provide emotionally, you provide spiritually, you provide intellectually, you provide physically, you're there. You're invested. So this teaching should never be used to diss the family. On the other hand... We have to be careful of just watering this whole thing down to accept the normal of our culture. It is a radical teaching, and this is the framework, brothers and sisters. This is the framework in which we should see everything. So I end with this challenge really quickly. Here's the challenge. Will you just pray about this and, 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 and reflect on this? Uh, and to let it get in, maybe you want to go through the passages that I read here and just... Pray over them and reflect on them and discuss them with others. What does this mean? In the small groups adventure series, I encourage you to go deeper with this. What does this mean? What are the implications of this? And, uh, and to get this in our head. And I encourage you to live in this question. Do you seek first the will of Abba Father? Are you being a faithful kid of the kingdom? And are you seeking relationships with others to do that in? We're here as we gather all the believers. We're like a family reunion, you know. We're, we're all, you know, we share Abba Father and we have the same DNA. But we don't know one another very well. How could we? But we all need family-sized units that we carry out Abba's will in. And so I encourage you to be praying about that. You might want to join one of the adventure groups. And that isn't to say that's going to be your group. But you might find one or two people there that you can't kind of hit it off with. and they, They're hungry for God and you're hungry for God. So you say, let's be hungry for God together. Uh, it's got to be an organic thing that grows, but you've got to put yourself in a position where it can grow. And so I encourage you to sign up for one of the groups uh, and, and, and uh, be walking. If you're not in a group right now that, you, that is helping you seek first the kingdom, be praying about that. God, lead me to other family members that I'm supposed to be aligned with to carry out your will on earth as it is in heaven. All right. I want to ask the prayer teams to come up and uh, uh, brothers and sisters. And you know what? It's okay to call each other that. Let's be, let's be corny. I don't care. It's biblical for crying out loud. Who cares whether it's corny or not? Uh, but brothers and sisters, uh, there'll be prayer teams up here. And if you have any need of a server that you'd like to have prayed for, I encourage you to come up here and share with these brothers and sisters because uh, everything you share is in confidence. And that's what the body of Christ is for, all right? Uh, Father, Abba, Father, dear Father, as we leave this place, we pray you'd be helping us to be faithful children who live in a way that increasingly puts on display the beauty of your DNA the beauty of your character, the beauty of your love. And Father, I pray, God, through the power of your spirit that you've infused into our spirit. I pray, Lord, that you'd be reminding us of of, uh, our obligations as your kids and and purifying our heart to seek you first. And I pray, Lord God, that you'd be helping us get in relationship with other other folks to carry out your will on earth as it is in heaven. We commit to being kids who honor your name, carry out your will, and further your family in Jesus' name. And the family said... God bless you, brothers and sisters. Go and honor Dad.